Do you have a networking strategy? If you're like me, you may have written marketing strategies, sales strategies, or proposition strategies, but I've never once thought about a networking strategy. My guest today argues that whether it's for individual career development, business generation, or simply for getting the job done, networking is an increasingly vital tool for business, but you need to take a strategic approach to it. Hear how you can put together a networking strategy that will help to grow your business and listen to how you can weave successful referrals into that networking. That's right here on episode nine of the Marketing Protection and Finance podcast. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here and welcome to the Empath podcast. This is the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. You can find the notes that go with the show at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath. In the meantime, let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, and he is Andy Laparta. Andy believes that connections really do count. And if you are serious about your business, can you afford not to network effectively? Labelled Mr. Network by The Sun, Andy Laparta was called one of Europe's leading business networking strategists by the Financial Times. Andy is the author of three books on networking, as well as a blogger for The Huffington Post and NatWest Business Sense. Andy speaks internationally and has worked with companies from one-man bands to organisations such as Deloitte, Merrill Lynch and Mastercard to help them realise the full potential from their networking. He's also a fellow and former Vice President of the Professional Speaking Association. So Andy, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thank you Roger, thanks for having me on it. How are you today? Very well indeed, thank you. Good. Before we move on to the main discussion topic, Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, so that we can get to know you and to find out what makes you tick. Well, there's an interesting question. How's, how long's the podcast? <laughs> I've been involved with networking for just over 15 years now. Going back 16 years, my father co-founded a business network. Um, which I joined six months later, uh, and we were involved running that together for uh, eight years after that. Uh, we sold out from that seven years ago uh, and have built the business in its current form, uh, current form since then. Before that, very, very wide-ranging career, running from being a civil servant to a runner on film sets to, to cold-calling people to sound engineer and running car parks. So saw everything before the world of networking 15 years ago. And, and that's really, I mean, from a professional perspective, that's that's where my focus has been for the last decade and a half, uh, working with a wide range of businesses across sectors, helping them understand how to network effectively, but perhaps more importantly, why, and, and start building strategies to both build strong relationships, but also leverage them. And that's really going to be the topic of today's podcasting, networking and referrals and that sort of thing. And we usually talk about business models or product launches or marketing campaigns sometimes we talk about hot news stories but I thought today it would be very interesting to pick your brains on this subject of networking because Andy to be perfectly honest even though I've been around in this industry for 25 years and I, and I pride myself on having quite an ex- 
extensive network, but I actually don't do it very well. It's something that I very rarely think about, and therefore I imagine it's something that many people very rarely think about. Is, is that how you started off in this line? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I didn't even know not what networking was when I started in the line. Um, you know, as I said, my father co-founded a business network, but it was something I did naturally, and there are a lot of people who do network naturally. They're naturally connecting, they know and they're comfortable asking people for, for help, and they have the relationships to do so. But that's as far as most people do. Either you're naturally a networker or you're not, and that shouldn't be the case. Um, you can learn the skills, you can implement strategies, you can drive focus on it, um, and you get much better results you know, by doing so. And the, the way I really found my niche, so to speak, is when we ran the networking group, we saw so many of our members who came along to networking events because they were invited, not for any core business reason, but because they were invited. They joined because they liked the buzz, and then they got nothing out of it because they didn't ever think, why? Why am I networking? Why this group? What do I need to put into it? They didn't have a strategy, um, and they drifted away very quickly. Uh, and so, so you know, I started out by just helping change the focus of the people who joined our group and challenging them. You know, why are you joining us, and, and what does success look like? Quite a lot of networking events, and in the financial services industry these can be conferences they can corporate entertainment often spend you do actually often spend quite a lot of time with networking time so there'll be a coffee break or there'll be a dinner break and they'll shuffle people around so that you sit at different tables or stand in different parts of the room but people sometimes feel quite ill prepared for that or even quite nervous and don't really know what to do so what 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 do you think people need to do at networking events to to really start to change the way they approach them? Well, the first thing is to, going back to what I just said, is understand why you're there in the first place. If you have a clear objective to grow your network or to build stronger relationships with certain people you've met a, a few times before, then you're much more driven and directed in how you interact. It, it also breaks you out of your comfort zone. One of the reasons we don't engage with people in those uh, environments is because it's uncomfortable to do so. It's comfortable to stay around the people that we know well, uh, who we work with day in day out it's uncomfortable to approach strangers because because we're frightened of projection um, Ab absolutely and, and, and i guess that's what always happens you go to an event like this you scan the room you see somebody you know and you make a beeline for the person you know when in reality what you should probably do is have a look around see somebody you don't know and go over and, and find a way to introduce yourself to them that's right but but again it's driven by uh, a strategy it's driven by understanding you, you you know your purpose for being there so for mm -hmm. example if you may mentioned the professional speaking association if i go to the annual convention for example my goal is probably to catch up with people that i know but i don't see on a frequent basis it's not to meet new people i'm not closed to meeting new people but that's not my reason for being there so can have different purposes and part of those purposes can be to see people you know already and you're comfortable with but challenge yourself and say is that my real purpose or is that an excuse because i don't want to get uncomfortable but one thing you can remind yourself that if you if you one of your goals is to grow your network and to build a diverse network and you 
need to meet new people to do that, then you can drive yourself to, to get out of that comfort zone at events and approach people and remind yourself that, you know, you're uncomfortable because of fear of rejection, but it's not one that's well founded. Who, If people go to events to meet other people and to meet new people, why are they going to reject you? As long as your hygiene and your presence, <laughs> you, you know, is good and you're presented well and you're not drunk, then why would they not want to talk to you when they don't know you at that stage? So actually, it's, it's like having a strategy for networking, as you say, and lots of people will have marketing strategies, they'll have sales strategies, they'll have product strategies. I've never actually heard of anybody coming up with a networking strategy. I just don't think it's anything that ever crosses people's minds. And, and that's what frustrates uh, You know, you talked about, at the beginning, you said very often you talk about marketing plans and marketing campaigns and so forth. Why not have a networking campaign? Uh, and when people do, it tends to be very shallow and very ill-considered. You know, the conversation will be something like, we need more referrals. What are we going to do? Well, let's go out and ask our clients for referrals and we'll offer them X percent or, or X amount. And that's it. There's no more thought than that. And, and networking effectively and referral strategies are, are much more subtle than that and much more based on individuals and personal relationships and, and can't be just a whitewash. You have to work at it. And, and that's that scares people off because we've got enough on our plate without worrying about working on our networking. And a lot of the people who are listening to the Empath podcast will be financial advisors and financial advisors need referrals. So what sort of advice would you give to financial advisors to, to put together a strategy for networking and for getting referrals that takes it a little bit beyond that basic level that you described before? Uh, I would start by saying throw out of the window everything you're doing at the moment if you're like most financial advisors. And that's that, that may sound harsh, but most of the strategies, if you could call them that, used by financial advisors that I've spoken with and worked with in the past tend to be lazy, they tend to be poorly timed and they tend to be ineffective. So to give you some examples of that, there's the, the, the natural belief that is not, and none of these are, are exclusive to financial advisors, but they are common to financial advisors. Um, there's a commonly held belief that if you do a good job, people will refer you. Not true. If you do a bad job, people will talk about you. If you do a good job, people might say thank you, but uh, but they'll, they expect a good job. It doesn't give them a story to go and tell lots of people. And it's not the sort of thing we sit down in the pub with our friends and open up conversation with. You know, people tend to be quite protective about their, their financial success. If you achieve a huge success, then maybe. But your your your, your day-to-day work, people aren't going to people aren't going to go around proactively looking to refer you if you just do your job. So, so forget that approach. The, there's a throw enough mud at the wall and some of it will stick approach of perhaps putting a footer on the bottom of an email that says our business thrives on referrals. You know, please, please bear this in mind and tell people about us or, or writing a letter to all your clients saying, you know, we, we thrive on referrals. Who do you know who, who might benefit from what we do? If you ask a mass group to do something for you, then it's easy for any individual within that group to ignore the requests because it's not targeted to them. It's targeted at the group. So they can think, well, someone else in the group can deal with it. I don't need to. And and when you write those letters, when you put that footer on your email, the vast majority, and, and when I say the vast majority, I mean the vast majority will ignore it. Almost everyone, if not everyone. Uh, I, I think it's very rare 
that campaigns like that achieve anywhere near anywhere close to the potential amount of referrals that actually lie within that network um, so that doesn't work um, then the two most common approaches that are used by financial advisors in my experience uh, number one of the Colombo close which is when you sit down with a prospect uh, you spend an hour talking about their challenges their life their you know their, their position their status and how you can help them and at the very end you throw all that focus on them out of the window and make it about yourself by saying are you happy with what I've outlined do you know anyone else in the same position can you give me their name and number uh, it's appalling timing that that meeting should be all about them not about you at all uh, and actually why should they refer you at that stage they've only got your word for how good you are at that stage not not experience not their own experience it's in it's ineffective you're you're asking for leads not referrals you're asking for names and numbers you can cold call uh, you're not asking for solid introductions to people who then be expecting your call and wanting to hear from you and it's ineffective oh, sorry and it's lazy uh, you're asking those those prospects to do more for you than you're willing to do for yourself. You're saying to them, anyone else you know, you're not you're not painting the picture for them. You're not filtering that huge network they have. You're just asking them to do all the work, all the thinking, all the filtering. And, and I don't think you should do that. Um, and then finally, there's what I call the holy quadruplicate. And that's the use of intermediaries. And the holy quadruplicate is made up of financial advisors, bankers, accountants and solicitors. And if you ask any of them, where do most of your referrals come from? They'll answer the other three. But when, <laughs> when you really dig, what I've found is that most of them complain about the other three. They all say, oh, I'm giving loads of referrals, but I'm getting nothing back. I don't know where all these referrals are going to, by the way, because all four groups say the same thing. But the fact is that most people will, will speak to potential intermediaries. They'll shake hands on an agreement, but they don't nurture the relationship. They don't stay in touch. They don't keep keep talking to each other keep supporting each other look out for each other and monitor that that agreement unless it's a transactional relationship with an intermediary it tends to die away so that's that's the approach that's got the most potential but at the moment still reaps a very low reward compared to what it could do so we've thrown all of these old-fashioned methods away yeah what do we do to make it work properly i believe that you will get Far greater results from focusing on 10 key people in your network who could refer you. I call them your champions. 10 key champions and looking at them each individually than you would from approaching on mass a thousand of your contacts. I think you can get far greater results from 10 people than a thousand if you approach them individually. So the approach that I take, I call it the referral book approach, is based on knowing who your champions are, looking at each of them individually, and knowing when the time is right to ask for referrals and what referrals to ask for. Um, and <clears throat> I should say at that point, they're not necessarily 10 clients or 10 intermediaries. I'm, I look at your network as a whole. I think we ignore a huge swathe of our network who would be happy to refer us, far happier than our clients to refer us. And we we ignore them and we only focus on our, cli our clients who don't have a vested interest in referring us. Our clients don't want us having lots and lots of business. 
because that affects the focus and the time we have on for their for their needs. But we don't ask our suppliers who do have a vested interest. So, so the champions are drawn from a much wider pool of people. And you look at them individually, and you you say how how willing are they to refer me? How well do they understand who to refer me to and what to say? What's their opportunity to refer me? What referrals should I ask for? And and what do I need to do next before I ask for referrals? When is the time right? And then you track results as well so you can see what's working you can see what's not you can adapt your behavior accordingly you can replicate good behavior you can teach it to other people in the firm you may work out that this type of approach works with accountants this type of approach works with clients this type of approach works with friends and family and you can start scaling it but you start with a small number and you learn through trial and error Um, but over time it produces much higher results and it's much more easily tracked you've obviously made a very successful business out of this Andy and it's really interesting to talk to you about this issue and, and again I'm learning a lot just by, uh, by talking to you but maybe let's just go back a little bit to the beginning of when that light bulb lit up for you and you realised that there was a real business opportunity for you in networking and referrals talk us through that story Well I, I think it goes back really to, to the point I was saying earlier when, when I was working with my father with the, the networking groups and we realised that so many of our members weren't getting value because they didn't know what that value looked like so I introduced the training initially it was networking skills it was how to craft a 60 second presentation uh, and so forth I introduced training for them but then I realized they still weren't getting it uh, because although they now knew what to do in the meetings they they still didn't know why and and what their return on investment looked like. So I developed strategy training, uh, and it really came from that. It really came from that. But uh, about eight years ago, we sold out of that business to focus on the training and the mentoring, because that's what, where I that's where my passion is. Running a franchise uh, of networking groups, I'd lost the, the the drive for that. What I enjoyed the most was the training, the interaction, and the support with members. So what I then did was I I took that strategy of membership of a network networking group and developed into into a much wider networking and referrals strategy so we talked earlier about networking groups and networking events they're they're probably they're they're a tiny fraction of what networking is we're recording this podcast um because of an introduction from someone who's in our respective networks who i met because he was a client of mine at his previous firm at Aviva Investors. And I worked with Aviva Investors because of an introduction to the, the then CEO from someone else I met through other networks. And, and if you track that back down a chain, at no point was a networking event involved. Absolutely not. Um, so that's a tiny fraction of it. So we moved from that networking group environment into a much wider, uh, wider area. And what challenges did you face getting your initiative off the ground? How did you overcome them to make it work? Because I guess because this isn't something that people think about, you probably have to had to push your ideas a lot harder to get people to notice. That, that's absolutely right. And that's the biggest challenge is that, that people still see networking as a soft skill and they still see networking. In, in a lot of cases, it's, it's getting better, but a lot of people still see networking in a negative light. And, and what's ironic is some people whose success is founded on networking see it negatively because they don't like the word. You know, if you listen to Alan Sugar speak, he will dismiss networking in an instant and yet if you read his autobiography his biggest break um, which was the B Sky B 
deal for Amstrad for, 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 for the satellite dishes, that came because someone recommended him because right. he had a network. So it, it's that lack of understanding of what networking really is and that it's not this manipulative, game-playing, business card-exchanging, elevator pitch-swapping pitch fest. It, it's something much more nuanced than that. Um, and I think it's getting people to recognize that and recognize the business value it has. But, you know, what we've just been talking about, moving from a position where a firm is half-hearted at best about looking for referrals and using tired techniques that produce enough to keep them thinking, well, OK, we're good at referrals, but nowhere near uh, leveraging the potential that their network offers. You know, how much money are firms leaving on the table untouched because they don't treat this seriously? So it, that's the challenge is getting people to realize that by treating networking as a soft skill rather than a serious business strategy that it's costing them a fortune but there's a huge amount of complacency and arrogance that means people don't see that and of course if they can embrace what you're saying it's going to make them stronger in business and it's going to help them to grow as well and i always ask around about this time in the empath podcast what is the one big idea that you would like those listeners of this podcast to take away from the experiences you've you've had i can already think of about three of them (laughs) you 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 mentioned before the 60 second presentation that sounds a little bit like an elevator pitch to me but I'd, I'd quite like to explore that as well but what are, what are the big ticket ideas that people really need to take away from this chat okay well I think the biggest one is the idea that you sell through your network not to your network and if you're at an event you sell through the room not to the room uh, the simple philosophy I have is that all things being equal I would much rather you refer me five times than bought from me once because all things being equal that's five times more valuable to my business plus in addition to that if you are comfortable enough and you trust me enough to refer me five times and you understand my business well enough to refer me effectively five times then if you need what I offer you're going to buy from me so understand the power of six degrees of separation the idea that we know more than five steps from anyone in the world the fact that you might not buy from me but your your clients your suppliers your brother your uncle your aunt your niece you know your next door neighbor they might be my dream client. And if I only look at you and your name badge and your business card, your job title, and I work out based on that how relevant you are to me, I'm missing a huge opportunity. So that whole idea of selling through rather than to the network is key. I I think one of the key messages to take from this is to have a strategy, to understand what success looks like uh, and know how your network can help you. And then the other one, which we haven't talked about, but which is absolutely essential, is that we've been talking about how your network can help you, but it's a two-way process, uh, and you start off by giving. Um, Stephen Covey in the, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about emotional bank accounts and he makes the point that you can't just walk into a bank and and say I want to withdraw some money if you haven't deposited anything there in the first place and relationships are very much the same uh, you have to deposit first so you need to be looking to to help your network first working out what referrals you can give them what advice what support what introductions that you can give them of value and other ways you can support them and the more you do that the more you'll be depositing in that emotional bank account that doesn't turn it into a quid pro quo you don't demand it back 
that you know that if you need their help, you, you're in a position where you, they'll be perfectly happy for you to ask them. And going back to the, the 60 second presentation, I'm quite, I'm quite interested in that, partly because I'm a marketeer. It's been yeah. my job for many years to try and get a lot of information over quite succinctly and quickly. And of course, in the modern world now, we have social media. And, and again, another of the big challenges is can you put yourself across in 140 characters on Twitter? Yeah. What, what, are the, what, are the, what are the most important things about that elevator pitch, that 67 presentation, the first impressions counts idea? Let, let me split it into two, two types of 60-second uh, presentation or elevator pitch. The one I referred to earlier is the one where you're at a networking event where each person introduces themselves and has 30 seconds or 60 seconds to do so to the room. And you need to prepare for that. Um, and you need to think, what can I get across in that time that will be memorable, that will engage people and will attract their attention? Because if you put yourself in a room with 30 people, each giving 60 second presentation, you're not going to listen to them all. The fact is you're probably spending, if you're, if you, let's say you, you, you deliver yours in, in the middle you're probably the first the first half of them before you you're too busy thinking about what you're going to say <laughs> and a half after you you're too busy hoping that you got your message across effectively and, and did you say it right so people's attention isn't very strong when it comes to those 60 second presentations so you need to think how can i grab people's attention you need to remind yourself that people are there to sell and not to buy so if you give a 60 second advertisement for your services most people aren't interested and you want a message that's both sticky and transferable that people can remember and repeat accurately. So I would look for something that maybe gives some advice or a story or, a, you know, something that could have gone wrong and you rescued or something from your week, but something that's going to be memorable and stand out from the rest. If you stand there and say, uh, I'm a financial advisor and, you know, if you haven't reviewed your pension for a while, come and see me and, you know, you can, you know, you need to plan for your retirement and so on. People are going to switch off straight away. So you have to be much harder hitting than that. So that's the first type. The other type that's more the more commonly assumed definition of the term elevator pitch is uh, what takes place in the networking dance. And the networking dance at a networking event is when two people meet and one after introducing themselves, one asks the other, what do you do? Uh, which is the networking equivalent of do you come here often? <laughs> um, immediately, they're not interested. It's an icebreaker. Uh, and you reply with your 30 to 60 second, beautifully prepared, carefully uh, rehearsed elevator pitch. And and they're not interested. Let's be honest about this. They haven't asked because they really want to know what you do. They don't know what else to say at the start of a conversation. And the problem with that is if you turn around and say, I'm a financial advisor, if they're not really interested in not in the professional services world where does that conversation go you know you you hit a dead end and you just the networking dances an exchange of elevator pitches um an exchange of business cards a handshake and, and you go you other ways and you've wasted two minutes of your life much better is to dis disperse with that dispense with that completely and just get into a conversation and just talk to each other and, and do what you would do at a party or, or meeting a friend's friend at the pub or, or whatever it may be at a dinner party is just have a conversation just be yourself you know I, I would much rather someone asks me what I do when they've got to know me and they care about the answer um, than when they've just met me and they don't know me from Adam and, they, and, and in truth they're just looking to sell 
So we could just be talking about, I've just got off a flight and we were delayed for half an hour, or I've just abseiled down Blackpool Tower or something yeah. like that. Something that they'll remember rather than, I'm a marketeer, I'm a financial advisor, I'm a pensions expert. Absolutely. Get to know the person before you get to know their job title and try and encourage them to do the same. And, you know, and actually, you know, I joke, what do you do is the networking equivalent of do you come here often? The best question to ask someone is, do you come here often? You know, not necessarily those words, but have you been to this event before? Who do you know here? What did you think of the speaker? Because you're more, you're on more common ground. Unless you're at an industry event where you're all in the financial services industry, in which case that's fine to to exchange elevator pitches. Go ahead because you might have more in common, uh, and you might be able to go from there into into a, you know a, a, an important professional conversation. But in a more general event, you know, go with what you have got in common, and that's the event you're at, and then the conversation can can go in different directions from there based on what responses there are this is fascinating Andy and like we said at the beginning this is something that's not really occurred to me in 25 (laughs) years in the industry I've written marketing strategies sales strategies product strategies I've never even thought about a networking strategy or a referral strategy and I actually feel quite embarrassed about that but now having spoke to you I I realise the importance and the opportunity that can come from that and hopefully the listeners of the Empath podcast will agree and when you give your details out at the end I I hope that they're going to get in touch with you and, and find out more about what you can do to help them to develop that strategy and to help them to grow their business from that. Before we go, I always like to finish the Empath Podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. Are you happy to go for that? We can give it a go. Okay. Uh, it's a financial services industry question. Yeah. If there was one thing you'd change about the financial services industry, if somebody gave you that great big proverbial magic wand, what would you change, Andy? That's a very interesting question. And I'm coming at it from a very different angle because although I have a number of clients in the financial services industry, obviously I'm speaking as an outsider, if you like. And I've been saying all that by myself some time to think of the answer. And, And I would go with much more focus on relationships. I think that across the financial services industry, lip service is paid to relationships. It's a numbers game. Uh, much more focus on supporting clients and much greater depth of support and consideration for them um, rather than purely being product sales Uh, and I think that the move to fee paying will encourage that and will have encouraged that but my sense is that it's been far too transactional in the past and almost production line based. What's the one business model, product campaign or advertising campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? Tell us what it was and what you liked about it and what you learned from it. Wow, you're really putting me on the spot with these questions aren't you? I I can't think off the top of my head of one thing in particular. I think what the things that most likely to have caught my eye are the campaigns which successfully engage social media and get people talking about them virally. The campaigns where people are sharing them on Facebook, for example, with their friends. Often they're a very subtle way, so it might be a viral video that people just like and share for the sake of the video. But that's getting the brand's name out there, and I think that there have been a lot 
of very creative approaches to that and it's something that's encouraged a creative approach traditional advertising is if not dying it, it's it's having to fight for its life and you know I, it still baffles me when I you know you see ads on the television that could be straight out of the 1970s or 1980s people are uh, people want to be part of things now they want to be engaged with we've moved much more to uh, a world where our clients want to say uh, and our prospects want to say as well and the companies that have really grasped that and understand that they're the ones that I admire and I, I like to keep an eye on I agree with you on that. I, I, I sometimes despair of some of the advertising that we still see on television. It's it's dull, it's unimaginative, it doesn't even tell customers what the product is or, or anything like that. And I'm a great big fan of, uh, of social media as well. I was in the States um, a couple of months ago visiting my sister and there were two campaigns that I saw that were actually U- YouTube videos but the seed for the YouTube videos were actually huge posters by the side of the road, one of which was for a restaurant chain called Chipotle and and they created this incredible community of customers and non-customers purely by creating this very educational video it was actually it was just actually about organic produce and then there was another one which was actually funnily enough a financial services viral video which actually had zombies in it now if I'd have taken the idea of a viral video to my bigger bosses in the financial service industry I, I want to make a viral video that has zombies in it I think I would have been chased out of the building Uh, But this was a a very successful campaign with massive hit rates on YouTube and at least a 15% increase in um, in take-up for that particular product range. And and you, you know, we we were introduced by Simon Ryan, who I believe you've had as a guest on the podcast. Indeed, yes. Uh, And Simon's got his business, Social Advisors, where he's creating social media content for for, uh, financial advisors. And, And that, you know, being able to to really embrace social media in that way and not just say, hi, remember us, you know, have you checked your pension lately or, you know, have you, you know, reevaluated things? When was your last appointment? It is key. And coming up with a diversity of content, a range of content, being a curator of content and saying you might find this interesting, that's what you want to see companies do. And whether it's zombie videos or, or whether it's just saying here's some useful information we think might help you, and it might not actually be anything to do with financial services, but we just found this really interesting. I think that's what clients want more and more. Absolutely. And finally, Andy, what's the best business book that you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. Right, there are a number of books I constantly recommend. So let me give you three of the best uh, on networking, uh, other than my own, of course. The, the, the first one is a book called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. Fantastic book on making your message sticky. And it's a really, what I like about engaging business books uh, are that they, they're full of stories as examples. You know, and you would expect a book on messages and getting your message right to be engaging. And, and, and this really, really does fit that criteria. The second one uh, most people will have heard of called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Indeed, yes. Um, and, you know, fa- absolutely fantastic book. It really gets to the heart of what makes networks tick. And Malcolm Gladwell is an exceptional author uh, and very good journalist as well. Uh, um, and then the third one, 
uh, an absolute bible on networking and it's it's interesting actually i had one meeting yesterday uh with someone i'm mentoring and she showed me she had this book in her handbag after i'd recommended it a couple of weeks before and then i had another meeting later in the day where someone recommended the book to me <laughs> um, and that's never eat alone by keith ferrazzi um, which is an excellent book, highly recommended. I'm also reading a fascinating book at the moment, which uh, is called Not Knowing. It's just come out by Stephen D'Souza, and it's all about how actually sometimes it's important not to know and how certainty and knowledge can be a danger. And it's about living on the edge of certainty and how you respond to that point where you don't quite know the answers and where that where you let that take you uh, i'm halfway through it at the moment and it's a, a fascinating book um very very good i could carry on because I, I do devour business books <laughs> uh, but th- th- there's, there's five of my top three it's very interesting you say the last one there about not knowing i think sometimes in the in the digital world that we live in we have the opportunity to know far too much but what i do want people to know and what I want people to remember is how to get in touch with you Andy so before we sign off tell everyone how they can connect with you on Twitter LinkedIn Google Plus wherever and of course your own website of course well along all the social sites I'm, with a name like mine I'm pretty easy to find so it's Andy Lapata L-O-P-A-T-A so that's Andy Lapata is my Twitter handle. I have a, a page on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash networking strategy. If you send me a connection request on LinkedIn, please do not just send me the standard request. Uh, please personalize it. Tell me why you're sending me the connection request it may just be you've listened to this podcast um, but I find it baffling that people just send messages saying uh, I'd like because you're a person I trust I'd like to add you to my network on LinkedIn um, put a little bit of work into it and, and introduce yourself and I would be then happy to enter a conversation uh, and connect if you search for me on YouTube I have a channel there with a host of networking tips uh, videos and videos of me speaking and most importantly of course is my website uh, which is Andy com. at the top of each page there's a sign up to my newsletter uh, i send out an e-zine every three weeks with networking tips and videos uh, if you click on the resources tab there are a host of free resources uh, uh an absolute wealth of them keep you busy for ages lots there for free if you want to pay as well there's the networking shop and of course my services but but listen just Use it as a resource center and use it to learn some more, because if I can help people network more effectively, then then uh, well, that's really what I'm out there to achieve. Andy, I think I'm just going to go and sign myself up just this moment. Thank you so much, Andy, for talking to me today. It's been a really fascinating conversation. I've learned a lot from it. I hope the listeners of the Empath Podcast have learned a lot from it. Let me wish you every success for the future, and I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you, Roger. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. 
If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model that you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talked about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions, okay? Thank you.